After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome everybody to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel talking a little draft 2012 on today's podcast. So Aaron, uh, the, the uh, upshot of you moving to Southern California uh, was that you live on the beach. The downside of it was that, uh, that you had to do Southern California draft coverage. So you had to, we had to move you out of your cozy Northeast comfort zone with your <laughs> friendly scout to cover 20 states and they're all cold and players that don't <laughs> pop up till May Oh, no, right. none of that for you anymore. We sent you to the exact opposite end of the country in terms of draft coverage. So let's actually start with that. How different has it been for you covering SoCal, and how different is the SoCal draft coverage versus the Northeast? I hadn't even thought about that question until I was talking about it, but they seem like they're pretty different, not just geographically, but just in terms of covering yeah. the draft. You seem like you get a completely different kind of player. Oh, absolutely. It's, it is really a completely different animal. I mean, rather than, uh, you know, when you're doing the Northeast, you're always kind of trying to make sure you're not missing some, you know, 15th round guy in New Hampshire that, you know, might get drafted okay. I mean, it's, it's, uh, if you're a 15th round guy in Southern California, you're very much an afterthought. And, you know, out here it's, uh, you know, I think I've got 30 guys this year in the in the top 200, um, which would, you know, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you'll have 30 guys drafted in the top 15 rounds in, in the Northeast. Um, <laughs> it's just it's it's just a different deal, you know. I mean, it, you've got a lot of, of of high upside guys, and and uh, it's just it's just so much more depth. I mean, I feel like each one of these counties is like a you know is like a a big state in the Northeast. You know, I mean, not even even bigger really. It's not there's not there's no comparable. Um, but, uh, you know, it's fun. I mean, it's fun because you, you get to see these guys year-round. You can see them in the fall. You can see them, um, you know, in February, and they're out there uh, uh, performing in, in, in these, these great events that they have. Uh, it seems like all all along the calendar. So, uh, you know, it's good to, to be able to get a look at some of these guys in person. But, um, you know, it's, it's also daunting to try to make sure you're not missing some pop-up guy that, uh, you know, and that happens out here, too. You have guys that pop up late that, you know, kind of come on strong a little bit under the radar and, you know, and there's just so many players out there that it, it sometimes feels like you're you're missing somebody. That was actually what I was going to ask you. Like, it feels like the Northeast is the king of the pop-up, whereas it would seem like it would be harder in Southern California. But you're saying that people in Southern California, and there are still pop-up jokers. Who's, for example, the pop-up joker this year? Well, I think uh, you know, I think David Hill is, is a a right-hander from El Medina High School who's popped up a little bit here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and a guy who's uh, got a chance to have um, average stuff across the board. You know, he's been up to 93 miles an hour. He's got some some feel for the uh, you know the the changeup and the, and the breaking ball, and um, he could be a top five rounds guy. Um, a guy that wasn't really on the radar heading into the spring. Um, you know, I think this this football player Aaron Porter has uh, has some people intrigued. You know, he's he's a really an elite uh, linebacker recruit um, for UCLA and he's going to go play football and nobody really thinks he's signable but uh, some people like this guy you know he's, he's kind of got that Toby Gerhardt build uh, physicality athleticism um, you know he's had a good spring in baseball so his stock has kind of risen a little bit and some you know now there's some sentiment that maybe somebody couldn't try to make a run at him but he's gonna be a very difficult sign I don't really see it happening uh, but uh, you know his his he is a name that has been circulating here the last couple of weeks uh, as somebody to keep an eye on. It's kind of a wild card for this draft. That, he does sound interesting. Uh, UCLA football recruit. Uh, and, you know, Toby Gerhardt, I almost wonder if that's a good thing or a bad thing from a baseball yeah. standpoint. He was always kind of like un- un- uh, untapped potential um, you know, from the from the baseball standpoint. But uh, and, uh, go ahead. And the problem is, too, with a football guy, especially you know, as a linebacker. I mean, this isn't like a cornerback or a wide receiver. I mean, he's going to go to UCLA, and they're going to try to, you know, get him to add muscle and, um, you know, bulk up. And, that, you know, you don't need to, to bulk up as much in baseball. I mean, you want to have more of a, a quick-twitch athlete out there in the outfield than you do as a linebacker. So, I mean, you could see him going to, to school at UCLA and just kind of focusing on football and 
um, you know, and, and baseball becoming an afterthought. But you know, right now the intention is to play both sports at UCLA. We'll, we'll see how that transpires. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny that you talked about UCLA being a more physical offensive club this year. And, well, <laughs> that would happen if they had a linebacker hitting in the middle of their lineup <laughs> in the future, yeah. you know. Uh, but like yeah. you said, uh, there, there's, a, there's some uh, limited cross-training that goes on between those two sports. Um, it's John and Aaron talking a little draft as opposed to college baseball. We, we, we're going to talk about the college class in general down the line. But, Aaron, let's talk about Southern California specifically. Like we said, that's your area that you're handling for us. And uh, obviously, all the uh, we we were lucky uh, here in North Carolina. We got to see three of the top teams in Southern California on the high school side: Orange Lutheran, Matter Day, and of course Harvard Westlake here in town for the National High School Invitational uh, back in, in the March. And of course, the big story at that time was uh, Harvard Westlake with Lucas Giolito hurt, um, and Max Fried did play. Uh, Max Fried remains the top high school player in Southern California from the, for this year's draft perspective. Uh, you talked about him and Giolito, and we had our top 200 meeting, like how to rank those guys. Even even with Giolito not pitching since March, it was a real struggle to know whom to rank over whom, and it still is a struggle, isn't it? I mean, it still seems like Max Fried's kind of up and down um, a, a lot the last month. Yeah, you're right, and and this is a guy that uh, I think had had pitched himself past Giolito um, several weeks ago. I mean, at that point, you know, people were, were were talking about him as a potential top, you know, three pick. I mean, he was a candidate. Some people thought for maybe number one, um, but uh, you know, he's 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 a projectable lean left-hander who already can touch 95 miles an hour. He's got one of the best breaking balls in this draft. He's got a you know, a change-up that projects is above average. I mean, you know, come on. It's, it's a no-brainer. I mean, it's a, it's a guy who's done it. He's got a track record, uh, a long track record of success. He's got field to pitch. I mean, you know, there's there's nothing really to – you can nitpick here and there, but, I mean, there's, you know, there's no real red flags with this guy. Um, and so, you know, with Giolito, there was that question mark. I mean, this guy hasn't pitched all spring of his senior year. Um, you know, as good as his track record is, as explosive as his stuff is, is, is – um, his upside, I think, is unmatched in this draft. Um, there is that question mark hanging over him. So, um, you know, we would have had, I think, Free a little higher, um, and then and then Free kind of stumbled a little bit. I think maybe it was just fatigue. I mean, he's been pitching for you know it seems like eight months straight here. I mean, it just uh, hasn't had a lot of downtime, and and his, his stuff dropped off a little bit uh, down the stretch. Um, and then you know he he kind of came back. Uh, it sounds like last night he had his you know really strong outing. Um, you know, one of his best outings of the year as far as his stuff. So uh, I just think that it, there's no reason to overreact, you know, to Freed being a little tired down the stretch. I mean, this guy is uh, he's established. You know, he really is um, a blue chip guy. And, and, again, he has track record. And, you know, you can take your pick with these two guys. I mean, I think Freed's the safer pick. Um, but, you know, if Giolito proves to people that there's no long-term health concerns, then I think he's a pretty safe pick because, you know, I mean, a guy – the right-hander with his with his body and his makeup, you know, this guy can run it up to 99, 100 miles an hour, and got a filthy power curveball, and you know he's got a he's got a changeup that could be plus as well. I mean, it, again, it's it's really good stuff, um, and and I think he can command it too. So, um, you know, they're, they're both they're both <laughs> really elite guys. Yeah, they they sound like they really you know, early on separated themselves from the rest of the pack in Southern California. And- I guess the uh, the big issue will be signability for Giolito. Um, I mean, he's a guy. I think I think he's the biggest mystery man in this draft, um, just because of the injury. You know, if, uh, I guess uh, if if if, it's a, if I say that it's a fifty percent shot that he goes to UCLA, would you go over that or under that? Uh, I think you about nailed it. I mean, I, you you have to feel like somebody. You know, and the top few picks would have to make a run at him. I mean, if he drops in the middle of first round, um, I can't see him. I can't see him signing because you know because of the the new draft rules and the slot. I mean, it's going to take. This guy knows what he's worth. You know, he he's, he knows that uh, you know if he were healthy, he could he could make you know four six million dollars. I mean, he's not going to sign for two. I don't see it. Um, you know, especially where he comes from a family that has money, and um, you know, I think they value education. Um, they've seen what you know, I've seen guys like Garrett Cole go to school and and leave three years later as number one pick, and and I, I suspect, you know, they feel the same way about his upside. But then again, 
you know, maybe this health situation create a little bit of uncertainty for them. Maybe they, they realize, hey, you know, nothing is uh, guaranteed. Um, but uh, my sense is it's going to take I – mean, I don't know. I'm not going to throw out a number of how much it's going to take to sign this guy, but it's going to take a lot. And, and I think if, if you know, he gets out of the top ten picks, I really don't think there's a chance that he signs. I'm with you. I think it's just so difficult to know, but I, I really think that uh, you're talking about a guy where – you're, I know the rules have changed, but if you just look at what just happened with uh, Garrett Cole, he turned down first-round money from a, you know the New York Yankees. He didn't turn down any team. He turned down the New York Yankees, goes to Omaha. Uh, I mean, he goes to UCLA, is there for three years, goes to Omaha, uh, nearly wins a national championship, and goes to the Cobble Series finals, and then is still a first overall pick. Uh, three years later, it's hard, I think, for Major League Baseball, for clubs to argue, hey, look, if you don't take our $2 million right now, this is your only chance. Even with the rules changing, I don't see how the Giolitos don't look at that argument and say, are you serious? This just happened. You know what I mean? I mean, right. It's, right. Uh, I think it's a pretty big, uh, argu- a pretty good argument that UCLA uh, can make. And then, like you said, I mean, Max Fried is uh, – Pretty special of his own volition, um, and, and like you said, left-handed certainly does not hurt. Um, where I guess we ended up with him at 11 on our top 100. Like you said, that almost feels a little low, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, but but I do think the top of the draft. I mean, if you ask me, I'll, I'll ask you. If you saw Michael Waka at his absolute best, you saw him no-hit Pepperdine. Or did he finish that no-hitter, or he just missed the no-hitter? I forget. I think he lost it in the eighth or the ninth, but it was uh, he was very good. Yeah, he had the perfect game going into the seventh or eighth inning, right? Right. So you saw Michael Walker great. And Michael Walker is pretty good. Breaking balls come along. Fastball and changeup are definite plus pitches, especially the changeup. Might be the best change in the class. Um, Who would you rather have, Michael Walker, the fairly polished college right-hander, or Max Fried, the high school lefty? Hmm. You know, uh, I hate I hate to, to you know, to – question our list that we just put out but i think i would take freed right i mean the guy that uh he has more upside he is left-handed um i mean there, again I, I just think every piece is in place with freed i mean yeah there's a little more risk because it's a high school guy versus a polished college pitcher i mean i think waka um will be in the big leagues i think he's you know barring injury i mean i think he's pretty safe to be a, an innings eating innings eating kind of guy um you know with with some upside i mean he could be a you know, if the breaking ball really comes along, I mean, he's got a really good changeup, as you, as you said. I mean, it's a it's a seventy pitch probably. Right. Um, and, and and you know, and he's it's, he's big and physical and durable. I mean, uh, if that slider or, or curveball, and I think probably the slider is the pitch that that's come along for him. Um, if that continues to progress, then you know, you could see him being a number two in the big leagues. But uh, you could see Freed. I mean, he could be Clayton Kershaw. I mean, that, you know. That's your ceiling. That's your best case scenario. Obviously, you're talking about a, a Cy Young kind of guy here, but um, you know that, that's uh, that's rare. And, and for me, I think it, it's worth it's worth a slight gamble um, on the upside. Yeah, I think to me, like those guys being four spots apart is really not that big of a difference. Right. I think it really does. It's it's the safe versus the upside argument, and that's a. Yeah, I do think the majority of clubs probably do have Waka ahead, but. I think I'm with you. I think I would rather take uh, Freeze, the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Aaron, the rest of the Southern California class, it does seem like it, it drops off uh, a decent amount there, especially it feels like there's just not uh, – it feels like the strength of the Southern California class is high school ba- high school players, A, and B, depth after these stars at Harvard-Westlake. That is really notable most for its depth of – you know, supplemental to fourth rounders rather than its star power. Is that fair? Uh, I agree. I mean, in, in that respect, it's a little bit similar to last year where you have the two guys at the very top, Cole and Bauer. This year you've got Gilito and Freed. Um, a lot of UCLA connections here. I mean, it just tells you how uh, – a little, a little aside, I mean, it just tells you um, how good of a job UCLA does. And when I mean, you talk to scouts out here, John, it's, you know, the way that they talked about Kevin O'Sullivan. Um, yeah. Again, you don't hear a lot of – Scouts talk uh, in positive terms about college coaches. You just don't. There's a there is a little bit of an don't. adversarial relationship. You there. just don't. I mean, I wrote you know, that column about it this off season, and you, you just don't hear it. Absolutely yeah. right. 
but they have a lot of respect for Savage, you know, and, and when they're competing with Savage for a player, you know, they, they kind of say, oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, John usually gets these guys, you know, and, and they go to school and they get better and, and we'll take him in three years. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, he does an incredible job. He's, you know, people say he's one of the hardest working guys out there and he evaluates very well. I mean, you know, the, the track record now that he's starting to build, I think uh, it speaks pretty loudly. The fact that you had Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole last year. Now you've got Giolito and Freed, and you know, there's a chance that Giolito could go to school. Um, you know, and, and but th- this class is just littered with really talented UCLA recruits. I mean, James Caprillion is a, a maybe a second round guy, but somebody that people think will be a tough sign. Um, you know, Felipe Perez is another right-hander. Uh, uh, we've got him as a fourth round kind of a talent. He's probably going to go to school. He's a very academic kid, and, and uh, he's got a lot of upside. I think he's he's uh, he's projectable and loose, and has a really good feel for pitching. Um, you know, I mean, Cody Petit is a uh, I was talking to somebody today who who said he kind of reminds him of he could be a, an Ian Kennedy kind of guy. You know, he's not real tall, but he's he's fairly physical. He's strong, and he's you know he's got a really good curveball, and he needs to get better. He hasn't had a very good spring, but uh, you know he could go to UCLA and work with John Savage and be a lot better in three years. So. Um, you know, this, uh, I kind of went off on a tangent here, but I, I think okay. that uh, it's it's worth mentioning, you know, just how, how it's kind of like what, what Kevin O'Sullivan has done in, at Florida, you know, the way scouts talk about Sully. Um, it's, uh, it's Savage is a little bit like the West Coast version of that. He hasn't maybe had uh, the kind of consistent winning that, that O'Sullivan has had. I mean, Savage has been to Omaha once, but that program has become a lot more consistent than it used to be. I mean, they're in regionals, okay. they're hosting regionals, they're winning regionals. They didn't used to do that stuff. There's no doubt the program is um, – I'm not taking anything away from Gary Adams. Gary Adams is one of the nicest people in college baseball when he was at UCLA and produced I, – you know, I know for most of Gary Adams' tenure, UCLA and LSU would go back and forth for most big league alumni in, in the major uh, – of college teams. So, I mean, Gary did a great job, but they only went to Omaha once. And John Savage has only been to Omaha once, but the team, like you said, is a more consistent winner uh, under Coach Savage than it was under, under Coach Adams. There's no doubt about it. Um, Aaron, a couple guys that I wanted to touch on with you that I don't believe are UCLA signees. Tanner Rahir, is it pronounced Rahir? It's more like Ryer. Ryer, Tanner Ryer. Okay, well, Tanner Ryer, he attends Palm Desert High School. We've written about this guy. He does not play for Palm Desert High School's team. It's definitely a strange deal to have a guy who does not play high school baseball. He's just playing in a club out there on a club team basically travel ball during the spring. Um, it sounds like he's a the, uh, scouts really something they're pretty split on that. Most of them seem to not like it, but also seems like people are pretty split on Tanner Ryer. What's your take on uh, uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. We have him as a top high school position player in SoCal. What makes him that? And is he really a split camp guy? Yeah. He is a split camp guy. I mean, there are some, some scouts who wouldn't take him before the fourth round and there's others who would take him at the back of the first round. Um, so, you know, he's, uh, he, he does engender a real uh, difference of opinion because, um, you know, he's a little, a little unconventional. I mean, he's not your, he's probably not a shortstop. First of all, he's probably going to be either a third baseman or a second baseman, but, okay. um, there are people who really like, uh, like the hands and the actions and think he could be, I've heard people say he could be an above average second baseman, And I've had people say he could be a gold glove third base. Basement, you know, so I mean, he's, he does have, and he's got a really strong arm that'll play at, at either position. Um, you know, the foot speed is is, is you know kind of fringy, um, but uh, you know, which which limits him um, at, at shortstop. He just doesn't really have the range and not quite as fluid as you'd want for a shortstop. But um, you know, he, he plays. He's such a high energy player, John, and it's it's almost like you know he, he's. One scout told me he's kind of like three yards in a cloud of dust, you know, the way he plays the game. Uh, like you hear with, with a, people say that about a football player sometimes. I mean, he's just uh, really – he's a little bit of a high-effort player. Um, but he just – you know, he plays like Pete Rose. He's just a bat out of hell. You know, he's all over the place. And uh, he's an extremely aggressive player uh, at the plate as well. I mean, he, but he has natural feel for the barrel. He hits the ball hard. He, he's always, you know, full speed out of the box. And um, there is some power in there. It's not huge power, but he's got a chance to have average power down the road. Um, so I mean, it's you know he's one of those guys that uh, he doesn't endear himself to scouts because of the way he plays the game, his, his passion and energy. Um, you know, there are some scouts who don't like the fact that that him and, and Cody Petit, who I just mentioned, is in that scout league as well. Um, that you know eschewed his his summer ball team. Um, you know, some that rubs some scouts the wrong way. But uh, you know, the fact is, 
especially with, with with Tanner. I mean, he loves he loves the game of baseball, and I think that kind of weight that kind of wins out. Pretty interesting. It's a, it's a pretty interesting story. I mean, I know that uh, I think we know how Nathan Rody feels about it. He's very uh, antagonistic, frankly, to a club league and the kids not playing high school baseball. I don't know if Tanner Ryer by himself and Cody Pote that those guys are going to change it, but if more players of their caliber start not playing high school baseball, I don't feel like that's going to be a good thing for high school baseball. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm antagonistic toward it, but I'm, I'm certainly not that excited about <laughs> top quality players and not playing high school baseball. Um, it doesn't feel like there's any way that competition could be that, that strong. They're playing like junior college G- JV teams, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's other there are other teams in the league that are uh, um, you know made up of similar players. I mean, I don't know. I I don't have a good sense for the competition. I, you know, I think for some of these kids, it's better than their high school competition would have been because um, there are some leagues out here that aren't strong. But uh, uh, I mean, I think the jury is still out at this point. I'm I don't really have I haven't really formed my opinion completely, but uh, uh, it is fascinating because, you know, this is the kid, Ryer, who especially who's really driven. I mean, he wants to succeed. He wants to play pro baseball, and he thinks this is the best thing for his development. So, you know, it's a, a very calculated decision. It's not something that he made lightly, um, and, it, you know, it can work out for him. I mean, if he's, if he's drafted in the first, you know, 40 picks, hey, hey, you know, I guess it worked out all right. Yeah, like you said, I mean, I think we're really going to see what happens with this guy. Um, and, and like with both of them, not just not just one guy. There's there's two, at least a couple that are. High yeah, there's profile. several others too that are that are that are you know noteworthy. Those are kind of the two biggest name guys I think in this league. Speaking of low caliber competition, the the big mystery guy in Southern California is not of Southern California. It's Anelkis Garcia Speck, the Cuban left-hander, working out down at uh, Pierce Junior College. Um, under the watchful eye of uh, Gus Dominguez, the former agent who spirited some Cuban players out of South Florida, served some federal time for his role in spiriting Cuban players out of Cuba to Florida. I believe I missed that earlier, but uh, Gus Dominguez is no longer uh, an agent, but he's a consultant to some agents, and they represent several Cuban players. They're all working out down at um, – down at Pierce JC there in Los Angeles, but uh, Onelkis Garcia is the big guy. Aaron, you and I both talked to people about Onelkis. It just sounds kind of kind of a fascinating. Uh, it's not. It seems like it's a great year for him because first of all, you have a Cuban left-hander who's dealing in the big leagues in a big league bullpen and a role as Chapman. He's not a role as Chapman, but he is physical. And then second of all, you have. No left-handers in this draft. I mean, if Anelkis Garcia, he's the same age as most of these college pitchers who we're going to talk about in a minute. I mean, what college left-handers have stuff like Anelkis Garcia? Not many, right? Yeah, you're probably right about that. I mean, you've got guys. Uh, I mean, I suppose you've got somebody like a Stephen Okert or even a Lex Rutledge who are kind of wild card, power armed, you know, bullpen lefties. But you know, this guy, um, he doesn't really have. Um, a change-up either. So, I mean, in that respect, I mean, he's like, he's probably comparable to, to like a Stephen Okert who's got two real power pitches or, you know, Rutledge. I mean, both those guys, maybe they're bullpen guys. Uh, maybe they have a chance to start, but I think Garcia's kind of in the same boat. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a good fastball. It's, uh, you know, 89-92 is, I think, where I had it. And, um, you know, with a, with a, a, a curveball, I think that flashes plus, but it's still – inconsistent. I mean, I don't know that he's necessarily better than, than those other guys, but he's right. the unknown, so um, he's, he's intriguing, but I mean, I don't think he's better than Andrew Haney at, at Oklahoma State who uh, maybe doesn't have, isn't as physical, certainly, but is uh, uh, can really pitch, and he has a proven track record. He's a starter. He's a guy that has a, a deep repertoire and competes, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I would certainly take Haney, but um, but you could put Garcia in the conversation with some of these other these other guys. I mean, even, you know, we, you and I, I think, both really like Steven Rodriguez at, at Florida. Right. I and mean, how do you think Garcia compares to him? That's a great question. I think I would take Paco, but I'm yeah. a Paco Rodriguez fan, even though he does that stupid thing he does with his, uh, with his lead leg when he uh, comes set. I mean, Mm. I almost think someone's going to – that'll be almost one of the first things people change about him. You know, I've said this before, but you know what that reminds me of when he does that is uh, Larry Johnson's free throw shooting. 
which I always oh, thought. Oh yeah, was, I could see that. I also thought that was I always thought that was a joke. Also, the way that Larry Johnson went up and stopped and then did it. I mean, I don't know how you. I don't know how you could have made that illegal, but I mean, basically, a balk is an attempt to deceive the runner. I mean, if you really look at it that literally, he balks every time he comes set because he's clearly even when there's no one on. Why you do that? I have no idea, but it seems like it gets him in rhythm and timing. Um, I have to feel like you know, I I have to believe that his slider could be a li- just add a little more depth. I think it'd be you know a, an average to slightly above average pitch, but with his arm strength and the cutter and the command. The command is what sets Rodriguez apart for me from Garcia. And the big question is, can O'Neill because Garcia start? And he kind of really inconsistently thrown a changeup. I guess the other question is, should he even be in this draft? Um, it feels like the answer to that is no, but he is anyway. And there's, you know, I happen to think most of these Cuban guys would be better off if they went into the draft. A lot of Cuban players have been kind of underachievers when they're free agents and they get more money and that's great, but the hype is so significant. It's hard to, you know, get past that. Whereas, you know, Escobar, he's going to get paid and he went through the draft and he got paid when he got drafted. It's like a half million dollars, whatever he's gotten paid. He's been a big leaguer. He's been a successful big leaguer. And when he's a free agent, he's going to get big money. He's not going to get one shot at it. He's gotten multiple shots. So going through the draft worked for, you know, Escobar. And I'm, I'm surprised that other players or their agents have not just tried to follow that example, but they, you know, they seem like they fight it tooth and nail and just can't wait to be free agents. And I understand why, but I think the, one of the more positive examples of a Cuban player coming to the U.S. is Junel Escobar, and he got drafted, and it worked out for him. So I don't think he should mm. be the exception. I, I, I don't, you know, but Onelkis Garcia has been working out in Los Angeles for a lot of the last year. And when he wasn't in L.A., he played winter ball in Puerto Rico. Last I checked, both those places are uh, places where you're covered by the draft. So I understand why he's in the draft. I think I think he should be draft eligible. I don't think he should be a free agent, even if he's technically a Mexican resident. So um, he's a yeah. very unusual case, though, Aaron. I think it's safe to say. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Definitely a wild card. I mean, this is a draft that feels like it's – it's full of wild cards. You know, there's just a, I don't know. It, it's, it's one of those years where I think there's going to be some surprises. Don't you? Oh yeah, I definitely think so. And I think Aaron, the biggest surprise, the most unpleasant surprise is coming for some of these college juniors. And I think if you're not a priority college junior for a team, I, I think you're really in trouble. Um, I, I think you may uh, be waiting a lot longer than you thought you'd be waiting to get drafted, and uh, I think the combination of the new CBA plus the weak college class will equal the most high school-heavy draft class, at least in the first 10 rounds, that you or I have ever seen or that most people in the game have ever seen. How, how do you, What do you think of that theory? It's a, it's a, I think it makes sense, you know, and, and uh, I'll tell you, this could be – I really think this could be a boon for college baseball. I mean, because I do think you'll see a lot of quality juniors coming back next year. We've already had a lot of quality juniors come back. Just look at the, this year's senior class is the strongest yeah. I can remember. Um, but, uh, you know, we could be looking at a lot more of that in the, in the coming years. And, you know, there's there's guys that, uh, um, you know, I, I was talking with a, with a coach today who said, you know, if this player uh, is a college junior of mine, you know, is, is he going to really go sign for – um, you know, for a hundred thousand dollars after the tenth round. I mean, in, in the past, maybe you, you do sign for a hundred thousand. You sign after the tenth round, but I mean, it's uh, you know, I, I don't know that the, 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 there's so much advantage to doing that now. I mean, I guess it depends on the player and if you want, if you're in a hurry to go out there and start your pro career or not. But um, you know, even even if you're a fifth round pick out of high school, let's say, I mean, what's the slot there, John? It's about two hundred thousand. I mean, uh, a little more than that. Something like that. Yep. Um, I, I'll look it up, but yeah, I don't have it memorized. But we have the chart at BaseballAmerica.com. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly not life-changing money, you know, and uh, it seems like there's more advantage to a lot of these kids. If you've got a, let's say you've got a full ride uh, at, at, a, at a top Division One program, you know, and you go in the fifth round, um, you know, why, why would you sign, 
I mean, you know, that money would be gone in a couple of years in the minor leagues. You're not making a lot of money as a, uh, of salary when you're in the minor leagues. I mean, I, I don't know. I just think that there's a lot of advantage to going to school, getting your education, and, and you know, get the same money three years later or, or more money. Um, it's, I think, I think you, you we, I do think we'll see a lot more good, um, quality players go to college, but we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. I'm, I'm of the opinion that, uh, every team that in the, in the past has been signing players like high school players. I, my favorite example is Christian Binford from Pennsylvania last year, who was signed to Virginia and signed with the Royals for like $575,000. Uh, Jack Lopez, another Royal signee, was another good example. I think he was a Miami recruit, $750,000 in the 16th round. Not even a guy who was a typical high school middle infielder signee in that he's like an average runner. He wasn't even like a burner, you know. Um, Those are the kind of guys that you have to sign now. You have to draft in the first 10 rounds. Not only that, you have to push them up pretty high. And you have to you have to be a team that has extra picks to get those kind of players because you're at pick 166 and you're under a quarter of a million dollars at pick 167. You're under 250 thousand dollars, and depending on where you are, that's a 30 some percent tax rate on that. <laughs> Maybe there's state tax after that, so you're gonna probably you're looking at 40 percent or more of that off the top right there, plus the four percent you're paying your advisor. So your baseball take half of that is gone. So you 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 you're going to see $125,000 of that. If you're a high school player and you have some belief in your talent and you have some academic uh inclination at, of of whatsoever, why would you sign for that? You know, right. in the in the past, you would have said I need a half million dollars or that's it. Or I'm not going. And a right. lot of teams said, sure, we want the player. We're going to pay. So I feel like those kind of players are going to be taken in the first 10 rounds. Teams are going to try to spread their money out. One of the ways they'll spread their money out is taking college seniors in the first 10 rounds, the James Ramsey, yeah. the Peter O'Briens, those kind of guys. I know they're a lot better ones. Those are just two that are Preston in my area. Tucker. Preston Tucker, baby. <laughs> baby, you sly dog, you. We've been podcasting about Preston Tucker for four years. I'm tired of that guy. Get that, go play pro ball, Preston. Um, <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna go good, John. I'm telling you, he's gonna go good and sign for a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred and ten thousand dollars. But um, <laughs> but you're gonna I think you're gonna see college juniors with deals done, seniors with deals done, so that these high school players can get signed. Pro ball, I think most pro teams don't want these guys going to college baseball, but I think you're gonna have a lot of juniors who have their hearts set on signing this year. And they're going to have a rude awakening and wind up signing for $100,000, or their options going to be they're going to get re-recruited. I think college coaches know this already. I think a lot of them are going to are already ready to re-recruit their players between June and July 13th, between the draft and July 13th, the signing deadline, to re-recruit those players and get those college juniors to not sign for $100,000, $105,000, and come back to school and try to be the next James Ramsey. You know, try to be the next, yeah. I don't know, Nick Petrie. Isn't he a senior <laughs> at Missouri what State? What's that name? The Missouri State kid? Uh, Petrie? Yeah, is he a senior? No, he's not. Oh, I'm sorry. I just know he throws 84 miles an hour and has uh, had an amazing year. So uh, He's a guy we probably haven't talked about in the podcast and probably should, but uh, we'll save that for Monday's college podcast. But I, I, I don't think anyone knows what's coming, but I do think it's going to be – it's going to help college baseball – one way or the other, or maybe both ways. I do think you'll have a few more guys go to school, and I think that's actually for the overall health of the industry. I think it'll be a better thing if a high school pitcher who had Tommy John surgery already uh, doesn't sign for 1.2 million like Chris Hughesby did back in 2006, or Christian Benford half million, you know, 575 thousand dollars, and there are other cases like that. If some of those guys go to college and don't sign. I think that's probably going to end up being better for the overall overall health of the industry. But you know, I do think it's going to hurt on the two-sport guys, Aaron. That's where I really think the CBA yeah. is really going to hurt. I think it's going to help college baseball just on the seniors coming back and some more of those pitchers especially and maybe some raw athletes getting to campus. So 
Um, I do think it'll be better for college baseball, but I think in the long run, once the teams and the agents and the players figure out the system, I do think it'll be better for baseball in the long run with the possible exception of losing some of those two-sport athletes. Right, and and maybe, you know, if if MLB is serious about um, supplementing the the scholarships for college baseball, maybe more – you can get more of these premium athletes to go play college baseball. Um, and and I, that sounds like sounds like they are serious. Sounds like there's some serious discussions about, um, you know, MLB maybe paying to get baseball up to 14 or 15 scholarships. Um, that would be a significant boost. You know, if you've got, if you got that many more scholarships to go around, you're going to get more premium athletes to go to college, and then MLB can have their chance at them in three years. So even if you can't sign them out of high school, um, you know, there's a, there's – there's a lot to be said for, for having a strong college baseball. If you're Major League Baseball, I mean, you, you know, you talk about it wanting to attract these athletes. You, you got to start by building a good foundation. And you know, when you're losing uh, guys who want to go to college and play college football or college basketball, I mean, if you can get those guys to play college baseball, it's a, you know, they can still develop their skills there. I mean, players do get better in college baseball. You know, I mean, I think uh, there's this misconception among some people in, in, on the pro side that uh, you know. You, you got to go to you got to go sign right away in high school to really develop your skills. But I mean, I think it's clear that um, you know not not everybody gets better. Some people go backwards. But um, you know, look at any draft. I mean, more than half of your first rounders are college guys. My big you know, issue but, there, Aaron, as I think you know, but my big issue always is the assumption that pro ball does it better than college baseball. In a lot right. of cases, that's true, but it's certainly not true of all. And you know, if you, <laughs> um, I don't know of a power. Excuse me. I don't know of a Division One program that's getting good players out of high school that has lost for 19 straight years, like the Pittsburgh Pirates. I don't mm. know. I, I just think that uh, you know that this doesn't happen. So there are a lot of you know there there are coaches uh, who have been at their schools for 30 some years, like uh, Mark Marquis. That wouldn't happen if he had the Pirates track record. So I just think it happens, and in, in college baseball gets put down. Um, I just think there are a lot of college coaches that do know what they're doing. And it's just that there are a lot of college coaches who don't know what they're doing uh, from a development standpoint. And there are a lot of pro teams that don't know what they're doing. You know, until they changed pitching coordinators in Cincinnati, they had like a decade-long streak of not developing any homegrown pitchers. And same thing in Milwaukee. They still, outside of Giovanni Gallardo, just don't have a great track record of developing their own pitchers in Milwaukee. So, um and they've had some big league success, so it's just not automatic that pro teams develop better than college. That, that's my uh, always my issue. There are colleges that abuse their pitchers. There are colleges that don't know how to develop, and I know that they all don't focus on development, but there are also pro clubs that don't know how to develop, just the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And I, I would wager that most of your college coaches probably care about, your, if I, as a parent, I would guess there are more college coaches that care about their players than double A hitting coaches care about their players. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's just the way it is. And a lot of that comes from the top in an organization where they tell you which players to care about and which ones don't. You know, these guys are the prospects, these guys aren't. And that comes from on high. And how can you how can you get that memo and really care about all your players the same? That that but that's pro ball. That is very difficult. So uh, pro ball is not for everybody. I, I agree with you. I do think the new CBA is going to make it, I think, a little bit better <clears throat> for col- – well, it could make it a lot better for college baseball. I think it will make make it better for the professional baseball industry, though, because, frankly, you really just should want players who want to be in pro ball, not players who are in pro ball because they want the money. Right. You know, how many of those guys Good who sign because of the money uh, are really ready to go? If, if you have to buy them out – uh, and they didn't really want to go. That, that's that's what area scouting is supposed to be about: is finding out who really wants to play. You talk to area scouts all the time, and they say, "Oh, he really he wants to play, right?" I mean, that's a big yep. separator for those guys. And I think there's a good reason why it's a separator because if you want to play, you're really going to work hard to get better at it. So right, right, and and there's you know, and then, and a lot of players uh, benefit. I really believe they they benefit emotionally and and just you know mature, they mature in college, you know, and if you're a guy that if you have the grades and you, you know, you value education at all, uh, um, you know, I mean, look at, 
you know, anyone who's been to college, think back to your college experience and, and the person you were when you were 18 years old versus the person you were after school. I mean, I, I just think there's a lot to be said for that whole experience versus, you know, spending your time in, uh, uh, in, in a complex league somewhere or, you know, even in, in low A. I mean, it's, it's a much different lifestyle. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of growing up that can be done in college. So, um, you know, I don't want to – we've gone off on a tangent here. Obviously, I'm a supporter of college baseball. I think I made that point. <laughs> That's okay. I, I think it was a useful tangent. And the last tangent, let's talk real quick about this uh, this proposal. You've done some reporting on it. We've both read about this with MLB. And I'm going to share a, uh opinion with you that we got we, – we haven't published it. I don't know if we're going to end up publishing. We have so much other stuff on the site right now. I don't know if we have time for it, but uh, former Missouri right-hander Garrett Brocious, former San Francisco Giants minor leaguer, uh, has written some non-prospect diaries for us. He uh, he actually wrote an opinion piece that I think he's put on his blog today um, where Garrett argues that he would be very leery of an MLB NCAA partnership. And basically his point on it is um, – and if you haven't read the article uh, that we've done any of this news, yeah, check out on the college blog. Aaron wrote a, a post about it about a week and a half ago where Major League Baseball and the NCAA have negotiated about uh, maybe MLB supplementing some scholarships at the uh, college level, possibly funding wood bats. But the baseball, the NCAA and, college, and, and, and MLB working together to make to, – to, uh, on the sport of college baseball, which I think is really is big news. Uh, but basically, Garrett just says be oh, be wary of this because he doesn't trust the NCAA and he doesn't trust MLB. Um, and then you had Mike Fox, the North Carolina coach, saying, "Well, usually if somebody wants to give you money, then they want some control." Um, yeah. So I guess I'm I'm still optimistic about that, Aaron. Even if something comes of it, I just think it's a big deal that MLB and the NCAA recognize that they have some common ground and they're. There are ways they can work together, not antagonistically, as we were just talking about. It feels like that's got to help, even if there's no nothing concrete out of this. Right, and and you know certainly Coach Fox is right. There, you know, MLB isn't just going to give away their money. There is going to have to be some some quid pro quo here. Um, you know, as far as the terms of that, as still yet to be worked out. But um, yes, I mean, you know, MLB um, they have some some things that they. Uh, that they, I think, would want to change, and I think a big part of that would be, um, you know, having more control over what happens in the, the summer. Um, you know, one thing I heard was was a possibility would be that, uh, um, you know, these summer leagues would maybe be staffed by uh, MLB instructors. Uh, Interesting. You, know, you have all your, maybe you have all your best guys. MLB helps select who goes to the Cape Cod League, let's say, and you've got you've got MLB, uh, you know, instructors helping develop these kids in the summertime. And, and they get to pick who goes. I mean, it's, it's something like that. I think that's that's one thing MLB kind of uh, is interested in doing, something along those lines. So, um, you know, I, I think that the sense I got is that the things MLB wants in return um, for potentially supplementing the scholarships um, are, are, are nothing that coaches would object to. So, you know, we'll see um, what comes of this. There's uh, still a long way to go, but um, I think there's real – cause to be optimistic and it, and it could be a good thing and I agree that it's 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 uh it's fantastic that Major League Baseball and the NCAA have recognized their mutual interests. There's two other tidbits of that I want to run by you. I wasn't sure if you'd seen this story or not, but Steve Pivovar of the World Herald in Omaha, <laughs> of the World Herald here in town as he asks questions when we're at the College <laughs> Series. I love it when he says that. Steve Pivovar yeah. of the World Herald here in town. I I just love Piv. But uh, Piv asked, uh, uh, did some st- a little bit on this story as well. Two of the details that he had were that one, MLB really wants the college season to end before the draft. Mm. For me, I don't see how on earth you could do that. College baseball has worked so hard. Dave Kailich has worked so hard, <laughs> and uh, the college coaches lobbied so long to get. Um, you know, a little bit longer season, this 14-week season. Um, I think right now 14 weeks, 56 games, four games a week, works well for everybody. Uh, it's a good compromise system for college baseball. It's logical. It's consistent. Um, and now the season basically ends, you know, the regular season is over before the draft. 
Uh, but they, they, they made it. He made it sound like in this story they wanted the Caudle series done before the draft. For me, Aaron, would you agree with me that the easiest way to do that is to move the draft? Move the draft. Okay. Exactly right. That's, I mean, that just makes sense. I would love for the draft, at the very least, to be a week later, right before the Caudle series. Otherwise, I'd like it to be in at the All Star break after the Caudle series. I understand that would be a negative for the New York Penn League, Pioneer League, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, well. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about that. Um, I think that the, the better brand name is the College World Series. That develops more fans, in my mind, than uh, the Mahoning Valley Scrappers. And I don't mean to pick on the Scrappers, but – I, you know, I'm, I don't think the New York Penley. It's great. The New York Penley is great. Uh, Northwest League are great. They can still do just fine with high school players in their first full season who don't go to the Sally League or the Midwest League. They go to those leagues. So that's one. You're gonna, you're gonna hear it from Scrapper fans, John. You don't have any respect for the Scrappers or the Muck Dogs. The Muck Dogs are gonna get after me. Second of all, Aaron, the other proposal that uh, Piv had in there was that if there were more scholarships, that it would be a full scholarship that could not be divided up among uh, more than one player, and that MLB would have some say in who got that scholarship. So it really feels like um, that would be – I still think that if it's one scholarship, that presents less of a Title IX, but if it's one full scholarship, it really sounds like MLB is saying to college baseball, hey – we don't want you just to give this scholarship money to country club, suburban kids, which is the that's the perception that college baseball has, is that it's suburban country club white kids playing, and it is overwhelmingly uh, white. College baseball is. I think I think the big reason why MLB wants to get involved here is the you know the fact, not the perception, but the fact that its African American participation rate has dropped. You can argue whether or not that should be the motivating factor for MLB, but I think that's why they want to get involved there. Do you think I'm reading too much into that? Or depending on when they're saying one full scholarship, but they want to be able to compete for lower-income athletes, whether they're white, black, Hispanic, whatever, but to be able to have full scholarship opportunities so that you can compete with those full scholarship sports like football and men's basketball. Yeah, I, I do think that's their overriding interest in getting involved. There's no question. So, uh, you know, that, that's an interesting notion. I hadn't heard that that particular side of it, but uh, um, you know, I, again, I agree that that's the reason they want to get involved is they want to they want to attract more good athletes and more uh, minorities, certainly. Well, I really do think that uh, that's a big part of um, you know college baseball. If it's going to grow as a sport, uh, I think it's easier for it to grow working with MLB and not antagonistically. Um, and I also feel like just <laughs> it's also a possibility, Aaron, that this could just completely blow up because the last time I covered two entities with egos as big as MLB and the NCAA, it was in, it was MLB and the Olympics, and look how that turned out. I mean, right. I don't know who has a bigger ego, the NCAA or the Olympics. I'd say it's probably the Olympics, <laughs> but it's mm. close. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. So I'll be surprised if. These talks that do look very serious, if they bear any fruit, but uh, uh, I do think it's it's positive they're at least talking. And I'll send you Garrett's uh, column. I should have done that before. I didn't know we were going to talk about this on the podcast today, but uh, you know we don't really ever have time to talk about it with the stock reports and uh, top twenty-five uh, meeting on on Monday. So uh, it's a great show, great podcast. Anybody from the uh, the West Coast or the college class that uh, I, I should have, I've asked everyone else on these draft podcasts, Aaron, personal cheese balls. Have you got a personal cheese ball this year? Non-top 200 personal yeah. cheese ball cannot be the Kirby guy. Nathan claimed Kirby. Of course, you know that Connors is Taylor Ard. Uh, Jim's is the Joker from Indiana State. Dakota, whatever his name is. Dakota Backus, yeah. Dakota Backus, and mine, of course, is Brandon Miller at Sanford. Who is Aaron Fitz's nice. 2012 draft personal cheese ball? John, I'm going to go with Tyler Heineman. Nice. UCLA. The, you love uh, the Heinemann. The I do. I do love the Heinemann brothers. Uh, Tyler Heinemann is a switch-hitting catcher who's uh, um, he's had a nice offensive year. I mean, this is a guy who's kind of buried behind 
Steve Rodriguez um, last two years and hadn't really played till his junior year, but he's had a nice year. I mean, he's he's actually cooled down a little bit here down the stretch. He's down to 359, but you know he's got he's got the he's got more walks than strikeouts. I mean, he kind of he's a contact hitter, um, but uh, he does have field to hit from both sides, and uh, he's a good receiver. You know, average arm. You know, uh, solid catch and throw. I mean, he's uh, uh, handles the staff really well. I mean, he's not a high upside guy, but I can see this guy playing in the big leagues for a long time because you know catchers are hard to find. Uh, in case you hadn't heard that before, I have. I've heard that somewhere, maybe on this very podcast. And is there is there a JUCO joker? What, what's your what's your California JUCOs look like? Is there a a California mm. SoCal JUCO guy we can uh, we can all get behind? There's there are a few JUCO guys that have a little bit of buzz. I mean, Corey Jones is an arm strength guy at College of the Canyons who he could get drafted okay. We didn't have him in our top 200, but he he could get drafted as high as the you know fourth round maybe. Um, I think the consensus is lower on him. Um, Brandon Brennan at Orange Coast, another guy that again I could see getting up there and maybe as high as the fifth. But for me, he's, and and from the consensus, I think is more of a seven to tenth round kind of guy. But I guess Stephon Sabol um, kind of his his draft his draft stock appears to be down for OCC, correct? Yeah, it is it is down. That is true. I mean, he uh, he was hurt for a while and he just hasn't had a great year. I mean, he's he kind of is what he's always been. He's and he's an athlete um that uh you know, needs to polish his skills and uh you know, he he probably goes in the top 10 rounds somewhere, but the guy that I'm a little bit more excited about um you know, there's there's a couple of guys um that I think are a little under the radar, but I like um uh, River Stevens is his name. He's a second baseman from Hancock Junior College. Um, that uh, he's kind of a nice little under the radar guy, maybe a back of the top ten rounds kind of guy. Um, but uh, you know he's uh, he's got a real good field to hit. Um, you know it's uh, not a big power guy, but he does have some strength in there. Um, you know nice nice defender. I mean kind of a no real standout tools, but he can hit. That's the big thing. Um, so there's a sleeper for you. River Stevens, Hancock Junior College. I like that, River Stevens. I also like the fact that Rio Hondo, which I believe is uh, alma mater of uh, Evan Longoria, he attended for one year before he went to Long Beach State for two. Rio Hondo enters the final four of the California Junior College Tournament at 38-3. and three. How wow. about the Roadrunners? And then Orange Coast, OCC, got old John out the belly, um, 36-5-1. and one. So uh, I think we have our two favorites a, in your California Orange Coast has college. a great team. Orange Coast has a great team with a lot of prospects this year. They're going to have a bunch of guys drafted. Um, you know, John Altavilla does a great job there. And, uh, um, you know, they're, they're, that's, that's my pick to click. That's my, my pick in the, uh, the Orange the, uh, California. I'm taking Rio Honda just for the hell of it. <laughs> All right, do it. <laughs> I think that's actually just our Southern California Final Four. I'm not sure who our NorCal Final Four is, but uh, I, I usually pick alone these days. I think that's how you pronounce it, O-H-O-L-O-N-E. But uh, I think they lost their head coach, Jordan Tuhig, or Tuig, I think is how you pronounce his name. But that guy was the stud NorCal JUCO coach, rising star in your uh, in your coaching ranks, Jordan Tuig, uh, just to keep an, an eye out for a name that's probably not pronounced that way. So, um, Aaron, uh, always fun. You laugh at my jokes. It's one of your best tools. So I appreciate it. Right. And uh, have a great weekend. And uh, this podcast is not getting posted until Monday. But so later today, you'll get a chance to hear me and Aaron, uh, as you hear this on Monday, uh, argue about the top 25. And and, and we're going to see you next week at the ACC tournament over in Greensboro. Yeah, very excited. I'm also looking forward to it. For Aaron Fid, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.